Chapter Nine of Shorty McCabe by Sewell Ford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. How about him, eh? The two spotter clubs and billiard cloth and buttons at the door. There's no telling what the studio'll have next. Maybe a sidewalk canopy and a carriage collar. Swifty Joe's getting ambitious. Me getting mixed up with that Newport push has gone to Swifty's head like a four-line notice does to the pompadour of a second-row chorus girl. First off, he says it's a shame I don't have a valet. Say, says I, don't it keep me busy enough reminding you that I'm still able to wear my own clothes without putting on an extra hand? But after this last stunt, he broke out again, so we compromised on Congo. I thought Swifty had him made to order, uniform and all. But he says he found him just as he stands, doing the stray act over on 6th Avenue. He'd come up from New Orleans with a fortune-telling gent that had got himself pinched for doing a little voodoo toy on the side. And as Congo didn't have much left but his appetite, I put him on the payroll at two per and found. And say, I'm stung at that. To look at him, you'd think a ham sandwich would run him over. But he's got a capacity like a shoplifter's pocket. For three days I tried to feed him up on the retail plan, and then I let out the contract to a free lunch supply concern. Sure, it gives the joint a kind of swell look, having him at the door, and if it didn't act the same on Swifty's head, I wouldn't kick. On the dead now, I don't care so much about looming up in the picture. There's them that it suits down to the ground, and that shows up well in front. And then again, there's a lot of people gets a spotlight on em continual who'd be better off in the shade. I'm a top gallery boy by rights, and that's where you'll find me most of the time. But now and then I get dragged down into the wings with a note. Yes, yes, I'm just back after one of them excursions. You see, after we'd shunted Sadie's baron back to the goulash circuit where he belonged, and Sadie and Pickney had got over their merry fit and skipped off to wake up another crowd of time assassinators at Rockywold or some such place as that, I say to myself, Shorty, says I, you stick to the physical culture game and whittle out the by-plays. That's just what I was doing, too, when an ADT shows up with a prepaid Josh from Pickney, giving me a special invite to run out and help him celebrate. Any comeback, says the boy. No, Sonny, says I, you can cut the wire. Say, Pickney means all right, and he'd done me some good toins, but that don't put me in his class, does it? Nay, nay, says I. Here's one dinner party that I ducks. And with that, I gets busy on one of my regulars who's been trained to go against two months of foreign cooking. I hadn't more than finished with him, though, when there comes another yellow envelope. This one was from Sadie, and it was a hurry call. She didn't say much, but I could see heel prints of trouble all over it. Me for Rocky Wold, says I, chucking the collar in the suitcase and grabbing a timetable off the rack. Yes, that was different. Maybe I'm a jay to cast myself for any such part, but since Sadie and me had that little reunion, I kind of felt that sooner or later she might be let in for a mix-up where I'd come in handy, and when it was pulled off, I wanted to be within hail. Course, I wasn't laying out no hero act like showing up with a can of gasoline just as the tank ran dry, or batting the block off from a villain in a dress suit. 
I was just willing to hang around on the edges and make myself useful generally. Not that I'm following the she-male protecting business regular. But with Sadie, it's another thing. We used to play in the same alley, you know, and she don't forget it, even if she has come into a bunch of green money as big as a haystack. She was on hand when I dropped off the smoker, sitting in the rocky old station rigging looking for me with both eyes. And say, what a difference it makes to clothes who wears em. It's bully for you to come, Shorty, says she. Oh, I don't know, says I. I guess good judges wouldn't call it a metal play. What's loose? Buddy, says she. For a minute I was lost, until she asked if I don't remember the youngster. Oh, sure, says I, that kid brother of yours with the eighteen-carat ringlets and a goily kind of face. The sisters used to dress him up in a Fauntleroy suit for the parochial school fair and make him look like a picture on an Easter card. Nice, cute little chap, eh? He was cute once, ten or twelve years ago, says Sadie. He isn't as cute as he was. He doesn't wear ringlets now. He likes rings better. And that's why I had to send for you, Shorty. I couldn't tell anyone else. Oh, the little wretch. If it wasn't for Mother, I'd cure him of a lot of things. Well, we had some family history on the way out, beginning with the way Buddy had been spoiled at home, taking in a few of the scrapes Sadie had helped him out of, and ending with his blowing in at Rocky Wold without waiting for a bid from anyone. Seems he'd separated himself from the last stake Sadie had handed out. Nothing new, same old fool games. And now he wanted a refill, just as a loan, until he could play a tip he got from a gent he met in a beanery. And I just wouldn't stand for that, says Sadie. Those bookmakers are nothing but swindlers anyway. I know, because I bet ten dollars on a race once, and didn't win. Say, I had a lithograph of Buddy and his beanery tip going up against an argument like that. Of course, it wasn't more than two minutes before Sadie got a Sullivan up. She offered Buddy his choice between a railroad ticket home to Mother or nothing at all. But he wouldn't arbitrate on those lines. He said he was a desperate man and that she'd be sorry before night. Sadie'd heard that before, so she just laughed and said the steam car ticket offer would be held open until night. She didn't see anything more, Buddy, for a couple of hours, and then she caught him as he came up from the billiard room. Being an expert on such symptoms, she knew why he talked like his mouth was full of cotton, but she couldn't account for the water bills he shook at her. But he could. He'd run across a young Englishman down there who thought he could handle a cue. But he had bet hot air against real money and trimmed his man. That wasn't the worst of it, though, said Sadie. After I got him up to my rooms, he pulled out the money again to count it over, and out came a three-inch marquee ring, an opal set with diamonds. I knew the minute I put my eyes on it. There were her initials on the inside, too. Oh, no one but Mrs. Purdy Pell. Tut, tut, says I. You can easy square it with her. But that's just what I can't do, says Sadie. She loves me about as much as a tramp likes work. She tells folks that I make fools of her boys. Her boys, mind you. She claims every stray man under twenty-five, and when I came here, she had three of them on the string. Goodness knows I didn't want them. They're only imitations of men anyway. And it was her ring that Buddy had in his pocket. Maybe he hadn't lifted it, says I. 
Sadie swallowed a bit hard at that, but she wraps out the straight goods. Yes, he did, says she. He must have sneaked it out of her room as he went downstairs. Think of it. Stealing. He's done a lot of foolish things before, but I didn't think he would turn out a crook. The Lord knows where he gets that kind of blood from, not from the Sullivans or the Scannels either. But I can't have him put away. There's Mother, and he won't mind the thing I say. Now what shall I do, Shorty? Where's Buddy now, says I. Locked in my clothes closet with his hands tied and a gag in his mouth, says she. Oh, I can handle him that way, big as he is, and I wasn't going to take any more chances. But it's likely that Mrs. Pell has missed her ring by this time and is raising a howl about it. What's to be done? Say, there was a proposition for you, and me just a plain everyday mitt juggler that don't like thinking exercises regular. Guess you've pushed the wrong button this time, Sadie, says I, but I'll stay in your corner till the lights go out. Anyone else on? Not a soul, says Sadie. That's some help, says I. Foist, we'll have a little talk with Buddy. I couldn't see what good that would do, but it was up to me to make some kind of a move. When they landed us under the port cochere, yes, you'd call it stopping at the horse block, I sails in like I'd come alone and hunts up Pinckney. What's all this about me being needed up here, says I, going to make me queen of the May? By Jove, shorty, says he, that's a clever idea. We'll do it. Yes, you will. Not, says I. You cut it out. I ain't no wine agent, and I left me rag doll to home. So if there's any funny stunts expected, you tell em I've put on a sub. Oh, sure, I'll stay for dinner. But as for leading any cotillions, change the card. He gave his word they wouldn't spring anything like that on me, and then he called up a waiter in knee pants and had him show me up to my quarters so I could get me gas-like clothes on before they unlocked the dining-room doors. After I made a quick shift, I slid over into the next wing, following directions, and found Sadie. Mrs. Pell's on the warpath already, says she. She's having it out with a maid now. Come in. She's dug Buddy out of the wardrobe and had him propped up in a corner. Better unstopper him and take off the bandages, says I. And say, he had a lot of language corked up inside of him. It wasn't very sisterly either, and most of it would have sounded better at a racetrack. But I shut the transom and motioned to Sadie to let him spiel away, never chipping in a word, only stand on one side and looking him over. So far as the outside went, he was a credit to the family. One of these slim, clean-cut youngsters, with a lot of coily red hair, pink-white cheeks, and a pair of blue eyes that had nine kinds of deviltry in them. I could figure out how Mother might be able to see anything but good in Buddy. Hanged if I could get very sore on him myself, and knowing how he'd been cutting up at that. Well, says I, when he got out of breath some, feel any better, do you? Huh? says he, giving me a squint sideways. Some cheap skate of a private detective, eh? You can't throw a scare into me that way, sis. Chase him out. Buddy, says I, give up the rings. How you know there was more than one, says he. Give up, says I, holding out me hand. He did it like a little man. There were two besides the Marquis, one an emerald as big as a lima bean, and the other a solitaire spark that could have been shoved up for three or four hundred. You see, a woman like Mrs. Poity Pell generally has a collection of those things lying around her dressing table, and, 
knew if Buddy got any, he'd made a haul. I'm ashamed of you, Buddy, says I. You needn't be, said he. I guess you'd do the same if you had a sister who wanted to see you starve in the streets. Oh, you needn't screw up your eyebrows, Sadie. It's so. And if you don't cough up a thousand and let me go, I'll swipe anything in sight. I can stand being pinched if you can afford to have me. Sadie threw up her hands at that and began walking up and down the room. Do you hear that? says she. That's the kind of brother I've got. It's something awful, says I. Just hearing him talk makes me feel shivery. It beats the band how wicked some of these cigarette desperados do get. Don't, buddy, or I'll faint. I wouldn't dare stay in the room if your sister wasn't handy to tie you up again in case you started to cut loose. I got a good notion to push you in your face, says he. Don't pay any attention to him, shorty, says Sadie. I won't, says I, but I'm scared stiff. Just about then, though, but he seemed to have got a bulletin over a special wire. He was gazing at me with his mouth open and a pucker between his eyes. What, shorty, says he. Say, you ain't Shorty McCabe, are you? Not to you, says I. I got to draw the line somewhere, and with bad men I stands on my dignity. I'm Professor McCabe, sonny. Holy cats, says he. Honest, Professor, I didn't mean a word of it. I take it all back. Why, say, I saw you put out the kangaroo in two rounds. Then you've had a liberal education, says I. Gee, says he, letting off some more surprise and bracing himself back in the chair like he was afraid of falling off. Well, say, I've been rode to my dressing room on shoulders and welcomed home from fights by mobs with brass bands. But for a genuine ovation, I guess Buddy's little stunt came as near as being a real thing as any. Dewey coming back from the Philippines or Mrs. Get There Hadley landing on St. Louis with the standard oil scalps wasn't in it with me being discovered by Buddy Sullivan. I couldn't get the key to it then, but I've mapped it out now. Most of his enthusiasm was owing to the fact that ever since he was fifteen, Buddy based his claim to being a real sport on my having come from the same block as he did. Anyway, it was a lightning change. From being a holy terror, Buddy calmed down to as peaceful a young gent as you'd want to meet. If I'd just shake hands with him once and call it square, he'd follow any program I'd mind to plan out. Only don't let her send me home to Maw, says he. Say, they get up at six in the morning there, and if I don't crawl down by seven, Maw lugs up toast and eggs and talks to me like I was a kid. Well, where'd you like to be shipped, says I. Oh, come now, Professor, says he. You don't have to be told that. There ain't but one place where a fella like me can really live. You get sis to put me back on Broadway with a few hundred in my clothes, and I'll kiss the book that she won't hear from me for a year. But how about this jewelry-collecting fad of yours, says I. Ah, I wasn't going to carry it off, says he. I let her see I had it on purpose. I'll be good. Well, Sadie was willing to let it go at that, and we was just getting this part of the mix-up straightened out lovely, when there came a rap at the door. Quick, says Sadie. They mustn't see Buddy or you either, Shorty. So Buddy was pushed into the closet again, and I dodges behind a tall dressing mirror in the corner. It was a red-eyed girl with lumps in her throat. She said she was Mrs. Poity Pell's maid. Mrs. Pell's missed some rings, says she, and we've been having words over it. 
I told her that there was a suspicious-looking young man in the house that I'd seen coming out of your rooms a while ago, and I didn't know but what you'd missed some things too, ma'am. Ask Mrs. Pell to stop over for a minute, says Sadie. What's doing, says I, after the maid had left? I don't know, says Sadie, but I've got to give that jewelry back to the silly thing foist. Then we'll see. So I handed the trinkets over, and it wasn't long before Mrs. Pell shows up. And say, the minute them two came together, the mercury dropped about thirty degrees. Being behind the glass, I couldn't see, but I could hear, and that was enough. Here are your lost things, says Sadie. That's her, every tick of the watch. If she was tackled by a gyasticulus, she'd grab it by the horns. Oh, says Mrs. Pell, gathering them in. And how does it happen that you have them? I'll tell you tomorrow, says Sadie. I'd rather not wait that long, says Mrs. Pell. I prefer to know now. You ought to be satisfied to get them back, says Sadie. Perhaps, says Mrs. Pell. But I'm just a little curious to know how they got away. My maid thinks the person who took them is still in the house. If I listen to all the things my maid says, begins Sadie. There are maids and maids, said Mrs. Pell. I can trust mine. She saw the man. More than that, Mrs. Dipworthy, she thinks he is hidden in your rooms. She must have seen my brother, says Sadie, or Professor McCabe. It's quite possible, said Mrs. Pell, but I shall insist on having the officers sent for. Why, says Sadie, I might have taken them myself, just as a joke. Indeed, said Mrs. Pell in a polite assault and battery tone. Then perhaps you will confess as much to the other guests, will you? And that was a facer for Sadie. She'd been keeping a stiff lip up to this, but she came to the scratch wobbly in her voice. You wouldn't want me to do that, would you? says she. In justice to my maid, I must, said Mrs. Pell. Well, says Sadie, if you're mean enough for that, I suppose I... But say, I couldn't stay under cover any longer, with her being pushed down to shoot in that style. I was wise to her game, all right. She meant to stand up and take all that was coming, even if it put her down and out, just to keep the hooks off that kid brother of hers, and me loafing back in the ropes with me hands in me pockets. I'd be a welcher, wouldn't I? Did I hear my cue? says I, stepping out into the limelight. It was a tableau for fair. Me and Mrs. Poity Pell didn't do anything but swap looks for a minute or so. I can't say just how pleased she was, but I've had better views. She wasn't any dainty lily-of-the-valley sort. She was a good deal of a cabbage rose, I should say, and carried more or less weight for age. She had an arm on her like a forequarter of beef. I don't wonder that Poity Pell skipped to Europe and didn't put in any answer when the proceedings came up. Are you the one, says she. No, he isn't, says Sadie, speaking up brisk. That's right, says I. But it was me brought your finger sparks back to light, ma'am. And where did you find them, says Mrs. Pell, turning the third-degree stare on me. That's a professional secret, says I, which I can't give up just yet. Oh, you can't, says she. This is interesting. And with that, she begins to size us up one after the other. Oh, she had us tied to the post, with nothing to do but chuck the knives at us. For a gallery play, it was the punkiest I ever put up. Here I come splashing in with both feet, like an amateur lifesaver going to the rescue, and I hadn't done anything but raise the tide. Sadie didn't have a word to say, 
She was just biting her lip and getting white about the mouth from the mad in her. And say, maybe her stoutness didn't enjoy watching her squirm. She was getting even for every look one of her willy boys had ever wasted on Sadie. We'll see if you can be induced to confide your precious secret to the police, says she. I mean to find out who stole my rings. She had more than sent in that shot before the closet door opens and Buddy comes out, blinking like a bat. It's all over, ain't it, says he. It is now, says I, and looks to see Mrs. Poity Pell begin to holler. Stop, thief! But it was a case of being off the alley again. Say, I'm glad I wasn't backing my guesses with good money that night, or I'd come home with my pockets wrong side out. Ever see a hundred and eighty pound fairy with a double chin toyin' kittenish? That was her. Why, Mr. Sullivan, she goggles, throwing him a Julia Marlowe goo-goo glance. Hello, dimples, says Buddy. Oh, they were your rings, were they? Then it's all right. I just borrowed em to scare sister into a cat fit and make her open up, just for a josh, you know. Why, why, says Mrs. Pell, looking twisted. Is Mrs. Dipworthy your sister? Sure, says Buddy. But say, Dimples, you're the very girl I was wanting to see the most. I've got another sure thing, good as a title guarantee, for the croton stakes. And if you back it for me, we'll make a killin'. How about it, eh? Oh, you reckless boy, says Mrs. Pell, tapping him on the cheek. But you did give me such a lovely tip at the aqueduct, and... And we'll see. Come, I want to talk to you and she put out a wing for him to take. As they drifted down toward the terrace, Buddy turns and gives us a sassy wink over his shoulder. Looks like we'd lost our job, Sadie, says I. The silly old moor-sagget, says Sadie. Then I goes down and reports to Pinckney, and puts in the rest of the evening being introduced as a gent that set the baron patchouli up in the shoestring business. I felt like I had opened up a jackpot on the four-flush, but Pinckney and the rest seemed to be having a good time, so I stuck it out. In the morning, Buddy goes along back to town with me. Say, Professor, says he, patting the roll of twenties in his trousers pocket, I wouldn't pass this along to anyone else, but if you want to connect with a hatful of easy coin, just plunge on Candy Boy. That's your beanery tip, is it? says I. Much obliged, Buddy, but I guess after the bookies get all you and Mrs. Pell are gonna throw at em, they won't need mine. See, it was up to me to push home a great moral lesson, and I'd done my best. But what's the use? Next morning I takes up the paper and reads how Candy Boy wins, heads apart. End of chapter 9